communication is something we spend all the time using, but did we ever look at it seriously? After all, it's not about the time, it's more about the dollars. Most of us in this industry don't spend enough time realizing the importance of communication, like period. That's my guest this week, Brendan Kumo-Rasami, and he is an expert in communication and how a small investment in time to work on that impacts not just your personal brand, but your business. Why are we spending the extra 30 minutes to close $100,000 more in our deals? Brendan's advice is that if you just start spending 10 to 15 minutes a day practicing, you'll make a huge difference to your real estate investing business for years to come. Because if you fix your pitch on just a few of these conversations, you invest four to five hours into this, your deal flow will be way better for the rest of your life. And that's the long term that I feel a lot of people are in, just you don't think enough about. And to be honest, uh, Brendan's not big on spending time reading books. He's much more about the practical tools and exercises that you can always find time for and that can make the most difference. So in this episode, he shares a couple of great uh, exercises, uh, random word presentations and his question drills. Uh, This is an episode you don't want to miss, and you'll get a lot more detail and insights from Brendan after the break. This is REI Branded, the podcast all about building your real estate investing personal brand. My name is Paul Cockett, and my mission is to help you, the busy real estate investor, stand out from the crowd so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. Meaning that you can build a successful real estate investing business without feeling inauthentic, overwhelmed with marketing, or spending all day doing it. Because marketing is how you get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. But before we begin, if you're a real estate investor looking to build your business and stand out from the crowd, and you don't want to wait for all the knowledge, strategies, and how-tos to be slowly delivered to you via this podcast every week, then I invite you to apply for the REI Branded Audit. That's the process I've created that has already helped dozens of real estate investors to define and develop their personal brands and build their real estate investing businesses. This audit is a mind-focusing, eye-opening insight addressing key questions like, is your message clear and consistent? Do you stand out as being different? Are you on people's radars and inspiring them enough to reach out and want to know more? The application only takes a few minutes and the link is in the show notes. After you apply, if it seems like I can help, we'll set up an initial conversation to explain the audit in more detail and answer any questions you have. So if you're a real estate investor who's committed to building your personal brand and business this year, then I invite you to apply for the REI Branded Audit. Now, back to the show. Brendan, welcome. Uh, Great to have you on today. First thing that I have to ask, what differentiates a good speaker from an average speaker? Absolutely, Paul. It's great to be on. It's a great question to start us off. So what's the difference between average and good? I would say the big difference is the person who's a good speaker is willing to do the same action multiple times, whereas the average speaker goes to the next strategy. So the average speaker, let's say I give a tactic like the random word exercise, which is simply pick a random word like phone, like tissue box, and give presentations out of thin air. They might do it two, three times and say, eh, or most of the time, they won't do it at all. Whereas a good speaker will look at that and say, you know what, maybe I should do this five times a day. And then they'll do it a few more times. So I'd say the difference in good and average is that the person is good is going to take that strategy and just apply it more times than the average person. And how does that help somebody? So we're thinking of 
the audience to this podcast, real estate investors, quite often they're looking to raise money. So they're looking for people to who are interested in real estate, don't want to deal with the the rental properties themselves, but they're willing to give money over that they hope is going to give them a return better than they're getting somewhere else. What are the important things a real estate investor needs to think about when you're talking about giving that presentation or, or speaking continually? So let's dive into that. So the idea behind raising capital is to first build up the resilience that we can have ourselves as a communicator. So the random word exercise, a lot of real estate investors might be thinking, oh, this is really childish. So let me give the, the explanations to why it isn't. The reason is simple. When we do things that we're uncomfortable, the th- uncomfortable with, the things that we are comfortable with become easier. So people who are into real estate, that's what they live and breathe. I'm sure a lot, a lot of people are listening to the show, probably multiple properties. They've already sold deals. They've already done deals. Or they're just getting started. But the key, regardless of where you're at, is if you can talk about avocados for 45 seconds, you'll be a lot more confident when you go into that. That's the first piece. The second piece, which is more specific to raising capital, is the question I teach CEOs called question drills. So question drills is where we preemptively guess what types of questions is someone going to ask us about our properties. Okay, what's the cash flow? What's the percentage? What's the IRR? What, where's the location? How important is that? So what we want to do as a group or as a small community is let's say me and you are doing this exercise together, Paul. We'll sit down with each other and go, what are 30 questions that potential investors or LPs will ask us about this fund so that we can close the deal? And then we think about those questions so that when they come up, we immediately know the answer to them. And that. I'm assuming you're recommending that because then you're feeling more confident throughout the presentation because you've pre-arranged or pre-planned for that question that comes out of thin air that otherwise may throw you off. That's correct. And what I would say specifically to this audience is the challenge I've seen is that people in the real estate community need to feel that burning desire within them. So what does that mean? That means that they need to realize that if they don't spend that extra 30 minutes, not three hours, the extra 30 minutes was preemptively guessed, they could potentially lose hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, over the course of their careers. So when you set that as a burning desire, you go, okay, I, I need to take the extra time. It's actually important that I do this. So that's really the key. And then the other piece is, it goes back to a quote I got from a Navy SEALs guy that I forgot the name of. And he said, we always default to the level of our training, always. So whenever there's a stressful question, if you set, let's say, real estate investor one, didn't really think about the question, said, oh, yeah, I got all the experience in the world. And they walk into that deal and they don't have an answer to one question that cost them the deal. Whereas investor B has already fixed hundreds of questions, has already practiced this like 500 times. They'll go into that meeting feeling like it's a joke because it'll be one. Right. And you mentioned practice. How important is it to practice what you're going to say? Practice is definitely important. We all know that. But let me add an extra layer to that. Practicing the right thing in the right way is essential. So I'll give you an example. So a lot of people, when we internalize practice, it's, I just need to do more of more. That's how they say, oh, I just need to do more presentations. The wrong idea. That's not how you want to do this. Practicing more in the right way is saying, okay, Brendan told me about question drills. So let me actually sit down and go through 50 questions. Let me actually sit down and go through 25 questions and just practicing that one thing. So what happens, it's like basketball, right? Like a sport. 
it's not like you're switching balls every day that you're practicing. Oh, t- on Monday, you're going to get a small ball. And then on Tuesday, you're going to get a big ball. And then on Wednesday, you're going to get a basketball. No, it's, it's the same ball every day and you're throwing it in the net. So it's the same thing with communication, except we don't apply that principle. And we need to now, which is do the question drill first, master that. Forget about the presentation. Just master that one thing. Then go to the random word exercise. And don't leave that exercise until you've done it a hundred times. So it's about practicing the right thing with the right energy. So that momentum builds up really quickly in our communication skills. And at the beginning, you mentioned do it in a group. So is that a recommendation that you have two or three, unless it's somebody like yourself, but two or three people get together and, and run each other through the drills versus sitting in front of the mirror, which we've all been told we should do when we do presentations? Correct, Paul. So those two directions to go in here. So one is for people who have the budget for a communication coach and the people who don't. Let's start with the people who do, which is super simple. Hire a coach, they'll just do that accountability for you, right? If you have more money than time, then you're done. But that's the reason I say the group is I'm always speaking to the person who can't afford a communication coach. So it helps more people. So I would say the 80-20, if you can't afford one, is simply get a group of friends together. Like when I started myself on my communication journey, I didn't have thousands to spend on the coach because I was just 19. So what I did instead is I got three other, but I was still committed. This is the key. I was still committed to the goal. So I found three, four other people and I said, hey guys, let's practice this together. And we did this together. So I would say my number one recommendation is find people in your network that want to do the question drill with you. And then if you don't want to waste your time doing that, then then go for a coach. That's the full answer. How important is it to have people in the same industry. So would it be, would it make most sense for that group to be real estate investors or would it be better to have somebody who's outside of it that could ask and say, I didn't understand that because you used way too much jargon, which I think is a probably we're all guilty of that when we get really into our subject. And I, I know real estate investors do that. And that's a danger right? with presentations and with communication is you lose people because you're way more enthusiastic and excited about the subject than they are. I love that. You actually hit the nail on the head there. But let me double click on that because it's so important in the sense that we always care more than our audience about what we're speaking about. And we have to realize as investors in real estate, we're naturally raising capital, not always, but most of the time from people who do not want to be in real estate. Because if you're investing, let's say out of a family office, the person at the family office doesn't care about how to manage the actual property or else they would do it themselves. No, they want to give you the money. So naturally with that analogy, as an investor, you have to go, wait a second. I'm thinking that this person doesn't know anything about real. So I need to communicate in that way so they can see the benefits. We focus on the ROI, focus on the location, we focus on the returns. We don't focus on the little, the renovations that we're doing, the money that we're spending on this renovation. Nobody cares. So that's the key. It's really focusing on that. The other part of your question I thought was super fascinating is the idea of the group. So let's say we move forward with that strategy. Should we keep it within our industry or outside? Here's my personal take. I don't think there's a right answer here or a wrong one, but my personal take is just pick the people who are the most committed in your network. I think that should be the priority. If you have a real estate investor is doing 10 times, let's say he has 10 times more properties than you, but he's not committed, he doesn't really care about doing this or she doesn't care about doing this an hour a week, not worth it versus if you're talking to somebody from you went to school with, but they're committed. They're like, you know what? Let's do this for five hours and I'm just going to do this. I'd rather pick that person any day of the week. And then you're 
you're giving back to them as well because whatever they want to practice in terms of their presentational communication skills, you're doing the same for them. Correct. And you mentioned the CEO drills, the questions. Are you then taking that same approach to the actual presentation in terms of, I need to think about not what I'm trying to get across, but what the person across from me is needs to know. Is that what you're recommending? Absolutely. I love the specifics of the questions. Love that. So the way that I would approach this is absolutely a lot of that trickles over into the presentations. But the most important piece is we need to realize that as real estate investors, oftentimes, the only thing that's really changing about our decks most of the time is the properties themselves, like the actual property. So one day you might pitch a multifamily in Florida, and then the next day that filled up, you, you filled up, you got the fulfillment you needed. And then you're pitching, let's, I don't know, a property, a single family home in Los Angeles. It might change, or you might do the same property in different locations. So what I would encourage people to think about as an add-on to what we've talked about already, Paul, is after the presentation is over, go back to the people who actually bought into your fund and have dinner with them and just say, hey, what really made you jump the gun on this deal? What were the two to three things in our presentation that really made you say, you know what, I really should be investing in what Paul is doing. And then you take a note on that. You ask the right question. It's simple, by the way. Everything we're saying is simple, Paul. It's just not easy because nobody does it. And you take that messaging and you throw it back into the next presentation for the next LP, the next potential investor, and you'll have much more success. And how important, what plays a part in terms of from a communication point of view, body language, tone of voice, whether you're standing, sitting, what are the important elements that our real estate investor needs to think about? Absolutely. So the analogy I like to think about here, Paul, is communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same eye contact, smiling, vocal tone, variety, pacing, make sure I'm not too fast, make sure I'm not too slow. So this can be really intimidated for people who are just getting started with their communication, even if they're a seasoned veteran, they've already sold multiple deals and got a lot of work done in the industry. So what I would encourage people to think about is one ball at a time. Which ball are we picking up? What's the next ball? What's the next ball? Et cetera, et cetera, until all 18 are mastered. So to build on what you talked about, which is body language, vocal variety, which are all excellent points, what I would encourage investors to think about is what's the first thing I want to master? And then how do I move on to the second? So I'll give you an example. It's all about sequence. So let's start the question drills. Are we investing 30 minutes to get that done? Don't even worry about tech. I don't even worry about tonality at this point. Have we done it? Yes or no? Most of the time it's no, make it a yes. Then the next piece, the random word exercise, let's do it 50 times. These seems like big numbers, Paul, but if we think about it, the random word exercise 50 times will only take an hour. So it's not like a, not an hour out of our day and out of our lives, like just do it 50 right. times, period. And then we go to the next piece. Okay, am I smiling enough in this presentation? Once again, vocal variety doesn't matter. Body language doesn't matter. Just smiling. Are we getting that right? Are we juggling? Are we able to juggle these three balls at the same time? Oh, no, the ball's falling. Oh, third ball fell. Let's pick it up. Boom, boom. Now, oh, now we're good. Now we're doing the question. We're doing all this. Anyways, you get the point. And then the idea is eventually... As you move on from body language to vocal tone variety, you'll eventually have mastered all of the balls. That's a great tip because that, I think you're right. It, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld that said more people would prefer to be in the coffin than deliver the eulogy. Is that correct? Was that the right, the right joke? He said, uh, 
what about those people that really hate public speaking, even the thought of public speaking starts getting them breaking out in a sweat? Should they find another way to get that presentation done? Or is it something that you recommend you, you really need to master public speaking skills or communication generally? So there's a couple of parts to that question. So let's start with why does the fear of communication exist? A lot of us, we think about the fear, but we don't really ask ourselves, where does it come from? What's the origin? So I'll give some common sense logic. We'll be really simple. Where did we start giving presentations as kids? Because generally, when we start something, that's where we learn it. And for most of us, it's school. It doesn't have to be college. It's like high school, elementary school, et cetera. And for some of us, it was probably a long time ago. But the key is, let's go back to that moment for a couple of seconds. There's three key pieces that I want to touch upon in those presentations, because that's where we learn all of the habits for the rest of our life. Because we don't have that problem with sports. We don't wake up one morning and go, I'm really scared to play basketball. Like That doesn't happen. But for some reason, we're scared of presentations. So number one, all of those presentations are mandatory, Paul. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Paul, do you want to get breakfast and present all day? Nobody does that or says that. We definitely didn't do that as kids. That's the first piece. Second piece, the presentations are generally never the same and we never get to pick the topic. So we're always switching between classes, history, math, sciences, English. We have to give presentations on all of these different topics and we don't get to choose the topic. So it's never, hey, Paul, are you passionate about real estate? Do you want to give a presentation on real estate? No, it's, okay, Brendan. I need you to give a presentation on the Renaissance. And you're like, what is that? And you have to deliver it. Or shakes, what am I shaking here? I don't get it. So this is the challenge. And then number three, which is the most important one, is every presentation is tied to a punishment. So it's never, okay, Paul, you're going to give this presentation and everyone's going to clap for you and cheer you on and then we're going to buy you cake and it's going to be great. No, it's, uh, by the way, Paul, so you're going to give this presentation with a really, teachers, you have a sad face. You're going to have to give this presentation. It's 30% of your grade. And if you don't do a great job, you get a slap in the head. Okay, that, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. And laughed at by your co- <laughs> classmates. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, we see it as a chore. That's the main problem. <laughs> so how do we work through that? I just didn't want to go on a five-minute monologue. I felt bad because <laughs> I just kept talking. I was like, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. So absolutely, Paul. So now what do we do about this? So the trick is we need to realize that the fear of communication will never go away. I'll use myself as an example. If we're having this conversation right now, Paul, which we are, obviously, and Elon Musk called me, let's say, hypothetically, and he said, Brendan, I need you to fly out to California or Texas tomorrow, wherever he's at, and I need you to coach him on my communication. I would shit my pants, 100%, no doubt. Even if I've done this many times, hundreds of times, there's always something that's going to scare us. There's always a deal in real estate that's going to scare us. If we've if we've closed million dollar complexes, ten million might scare us. If we've closed ten million dollar multifamily properties, hundred million might scare us. There's always a level that we're fearful of, whether it's in real estate investing or whether it's in communication. So the analogy is the same. Think of fear versus message like a boxing ring. So let's say we have a boxing match here. And one side of the ring is the fear, the stress, the anxiety. Oh my God, I don't want to deliver this presentation in front of investors. I'm worried. I'm anxious. And the other side of the ring is the message. Why am I going into this boardroom? 
why am I doing this? Why am I trying to raise capital? Why is this apartment important for people? The goal is not to remove the fear. That's a false expectation. The goal is to make sure that when your method and your fear meet in the middle of that boxing match, that your message wins the match. That's the goal. The goal is to make your message so important that it knocks out the fear. Think about me. I started Mass Talk when I was 22 years old. I, co- I started coaching CEOs when I was 22. Sure, that's cool. That sounds great. But I had a lot of insecurity, bunch of imposter syndrome. So why did I press record? I didn't press record for the executive who could afford me. I pressed record for the 15-year-old girl who couldn't. I went on YouTube, Paul, and I looked at all the videos. And I noticed that most of the videos didn't make any sense, weren't very practical, and were often given by people who are like in their 70s and 80s. Once again, no offense to those people, but to someone who's 15 years old, they can't relate to these people. So the fear that they'll have as communicators will last their entire life unless I do something about it. And that's why I went forward with it. So it's not about removing the fear. It's about making sure the message is more important. So finding the purpose, the why behind what you're doing. So it isn't necessarily even real estate investing. It's what does that real estate investing give you or give others that weighs, then outweighs it's a it's almost a case of why well, I either go in and deliver this and help that goal happen or that purpose be realized, or I walk away from it and feel disappointed that I've not done it. Absolutely. And, and let me give you a specific one. Let me help people with this because I know with, with the wide check, because I have a lot of real estate people. So I'll give you an example, right? What, one of my buddies is a CEO of a company called Evergreen, and he does a lot of single family. That's most of his real estate deals. He does very well for himself. And his purpose is taking houses that are broken, that are being that are delisted. You know, they're I think they're called foreclosures, if I'm not mistaken. And he buys those crappy properties, turns them around, renovates them, and sells them. That's an amazing purpose to have. He took a piece of land that nobody was using, and now a family gets to stay in. He gives them really affordable rates. It's not like crazy. It's always at market or below market rents, and that's his purpose. So when he goes out there and he sells for his fund, he's selling with conviction because he really believes in what he's doing. And he's scared shitless of communication. He's 27 years old. He's doing multiple seven figures in his real estate business. But the reason he's able to show up every time is because he has that conviction. And that's also true with multifamily. If you're selling multifamily properties and you really believe in the building and you believe in the families and they're getting an affordable rent instead of getting some surcharges by another tenant, uh, sorry, another property owner, you have that conviction. Talk to the families and the properties that you're managing. Don't just think of it just as an IRR. Really focus on the people who are living in there, how they're providing for their families. And that'll give you a lot more conviction to go out there and kill it. How do you know when that message is not resonating? Great question. Simple. If you took the extra 30 minutes, the extra hour to have dinner with the people you want to serve. The reason I know with conviction that everything I'm saying is landing is because I know that profile really well. Because I've already talked to them, I've already made all the mistakes. So I remember like the first real estate person, they're like, okay, Brendan, can you just get to the point? Can you just be really direct with me and get to it? So you notice that my tonality changed really quickly the second you said that this was a real estate audience. It's because I know that audience so well that I was like, okay, they just like, but direct, let's get to the point. Let's get the, but if I never had those conversations, if I never talked to them, I'd probably still be talking like this. Oh, follow your dreams, everyone. Really focus on your communication. 
So the the weak point always in our game, especially in this industry, is that we're not spending the time, the extra hour to have dinner with the people that we're actually raising capital from, because we feel it's a waste of time. Let's just put it out where it's there, what it is, is that we think, Brendan, if I have an extra hour, why should I have spend that extra hour with an LP that's already buying into my fund? I might as well use that hour and go to another meeting. And I think that's fair, but you should still think about, realize the long-term value of doing that. Because if you fix your pitch on just a few of these conversations, you invest four to five hours into this, your deal flow will be way better for the rest of your life. And that's the long-term that I feel a lot of people in our industry don't think enough about. You've really underlined a really good point. It isn't the investment now. It's the same as a property. You're not investing in a property to make the money now, you may do, but it's the longer term return, the, the positive cash flow, everything else, the appreciation. And you're talking exactly the same thing with the investing in communication skills. It's exactly the same thing. What about when you're delivering a presentation, you're halfway through and you're hearing crickets? It's obviously not going well. How, first of all, how do you notice that? Because you, I know speaking from experience, sometimes you're so in the presentation you're not even picking up on the signals of the people sitting across or standing across, sitting across from you. What are the things that people should be aware of? What should they be looking out for? How can they t- potentially turn things around if they see it going sideways? So my approach is always, Paul, because I always like to give the, the core, the problem, solving the core issue rather than the symptom, is for me, it's all about saying, how do we prepare for that presentation? What did we honestly do? Because if you're really good and you're always presenting the same thing, you're not worried about what the audience thinks anymore because you've already pressure tested the audience. What do I mean by that? So let's say we take a presentation that's coming up next week. I'm a big fan of taking a proactive approach to life rather than a reactive one. So the reactive one is going, okay, let's jump in this presentation. If something bad happens, we'll deal with it in the presentation. I don't like that approach. My approach is more saying, how about... We picture our audience for a second. So let's say executive comes in, they go, oh, I'm really worried about this team meeting or this executive presentation with a bunch of LPs. I go, perfect. Let's simulate a situation that's 10 times worse. So let's get a bunch of people, or like just people who are just terrible. People who just sit there and go with their phones all day. Like they literally won't care. Like just they're not, just people aren't paying attention. How are you going to deal with that? So we're going to pressure test that person. And that's the scenario. So get a bunch of buddies of yours. It'll be easy if you're in real estate. Get a bunch of people who are very street shooters and their only goal is to make you feel miserable in that presentation. So what happens is if you do that for an hour and you go, you get through that, you just surviving that, when you go to your actual presentation, you won't be worried about the audience. You'll be like, they're smiling at me. They're shaking my hand. They're sitting, they're paying attention. Wow, this is like such a gift. So that's the way I think about it. It's all about perspective. Okay. And now, For the last couple of years, we've obviously been stuck a little bit more in this kind of environment. And real estate investors are certainly making presentations. They might be to investors outside of province or outside of state. What are the things people need to consider when it is this kind of like on a Zoom call or it's a virtual presentation or communication versus that in-person where you can pick up a little bit more? Absolutely. So three key differences, Paul, between virtual and Offline, thankful we're going back to in person, so we don't have to do this for too long. But you're right. There's still a lot of deals that will be done virtually now that people are used to that world and people don't want to take flights anymore. Just close the deal on Zoom and be done with it if you can, obviously. 
So there's three pieces to this. The first piece is eye contact. So in an in-person scenario, let's say you're in a boardroom with a bunch of LPs and they're presenting, let's say 30, 45 minute pitch, nine people in the room, you're splitting your eye contact, you're moving boom, your head to make sure that you get to everyone. But in the online world, what's great is that you can keep your eyes on the prize at the at entire times. So and what the prize is the camera lens. If you keep your eyes on the camera lens the entire time, you don't move your head. You just stay focused on the lens. Even if there's one or 10,000 people in that Zoom call, it'll give the illusion that you're looking at everyone at the same time. So that's the first difference. The second difference with online presentations is energy. So let's face it, it would be a lot easier to have more energy if we were in person rather than virtual for this conversation, because I can feel the energy. It's a lot more interactive. We can go for lunch after, right? It's like fun. But obviously, it's harder to recreate virtually. So the advice that I have is get on a phone call with somebody who is going to be in the audience so you can really feel that energy. And I would also encourage you to practice your presentation somehow in person. It could be to a small group of people at a school. It could be somewhere where you have a boardroom in person where you're practicing. Do you know what the energy feels like? So when you go back virtually, you can recreate that even if it's not as mm. easy. And then the third the third difference is audience participation. So in-person setting, let's say at a real estate conference, you're giving a keynote, it's a lot easier for you to just have dinner with them right after because they're right there. They're just going to be like, hey, you want to go get something? You have a conversation. You can ask them a lot of questions. You can't do that as much online. It's not as easy because there's a lot more friction between something that would naturally occur in person. So instead, what I recommend is you force that interaction. So how that works is after you're done the presentation, similar to what I said earlier about the conversation, get on calls with people in your audience. And if you want to, if you do this, but you're going to be better than 95% of people easily is figure out the location of the people who are sitting in your audience. See if anyone lives nearby and enforce that in-person interaction. That's really where you get the best results. But I have a feeling there's one deal that people on this podcast are doing in person. So you probably don't have to implement that, but I'm just throwing it out there in case. And what about the content itself? Slides, not slides? Does that go back again to the juggling the 18 balls? If you're going to use slides, get re- make that one of the steps and make get really good at it because... I sometimes find, I think people use slides as a crutch and then they lose focus or they lose the plot or the slide doesn't work and they've relied on it so much that they suddenly, eh, (laughs) or technology fails or something. Absolutely. Great question. So the key to content is we start with the random word exercise and then after we master delivery, then we could focus on content. But there's a couple of comments I have on that. But what I will say as a caveat is if you implement everything we talked about so far in this conversation, because we already gave a lot of tactics, you're already ahead of us. So my worry is also that most of you won't implement what we're saying. So if you're someone who's taking notes right now, make some stars next to what you're doing right now and saying, okay, Brandon told me about the random word exercise. He told me about the question drills. He told me to practice this, practice that. Be sure you're doing all of this and why it's important in, in deals. So the piece I'll I'll comment on with content is always go back to what the key outcome is. The format's always going to change. And we both know that. So sometimes when you do deals, it's over dinner and people don't really need slides. They just, they already trust you. You talk about the deal, what's the property, what's the IRL, what they need, and the deal's closed. 
Other times, it's a formal presentation where you're talking maybe to a family office and there's a lot more people in the room, there's a lot more decision makers. So it's always going to change. I would say the key is always go back to the key outcome. What's the one thing that people should take away from this entire property? Why is it different from the other 10 pitches they get that week? Figure out what that unique value proposition is, right? That USP, what is the unique selling proposition? What are we actually selling? Why is this property so unique? And you tell that specific story, whether the story is about a foreclosure that you're rebuilding, whether it's about the fact that you got this building at a significant discount because you knew the owner. Like, so notice I'm giving a couple of examples. What is that one thing that people should know? Why is this the best deal that I'm getting my hands on for the capital I'm allocating this week? And be sure you're telling the story around that. Now, to your point, whether that's through slides, whether that's through in-person casual conversations is up to you. But I think what I will say here, Paul, is that the key is I would argue find the slide format is key because you'll there's always somebody that you're pitching to that will want slides. So I would always default there. But to your point, when you're practicing content, be sure you're doing a lot of the technique pieces that we talked about earlier so that you can present that deck in an inspiring and effective. And what are the what are the mistakes that really make you slap your forehead and go, no, don't ever do that. What's Why are you doing that? What should people keep an eye out for? I, I would say the biggest thing, Paul, it's more of, I, I think it's insane that most of us in this industry don't spend enough time realizing the importance of communication, like period. Like I'm not asking people to spend seven, 10 hours a day working on their communication like, I, like I've done because I'm a crazy person. I'm just going like, why are we spending the extra 30 minutes to close $100,000 more in our deals? Do you like money? Like, Do you want to achieve the outcomes that you're looking for? Do you want a repeatable outcome? So just improving our conversion rates, especially in real estate, by 5%, not 70%, by 5% will literally generate a lot more money and a lot less pain in raising capital for the deal. So why are we going through the uncomfortable notion of just spending that 30 minutes, not forget 30 minutes, three minutes a day, five minutes, just let's just, just sit down. You might even, let me make this easier for all of us. You don't even need a partner. Sit down in the morning, 10 minutes tomorrow, not 10 hours, 10 minutes, 10, 15, put it on the calendar. If it's on the calendar, it's not going to happen. And just go, okay, five random words, phone, tissue box, blanket, ceiling, roof, done. You do a presentation, all five, you've done that. Question drills. Okay, I got a deal coming up next week. What are three questions they're going to ask me? Think of three questions, you're done for the day. Next day, do the same thing. What are three other questions they're going to ask me? What are three other questions they're going to ask me? And just keep doing that. And that 15 minutes you're spending, trust me, that's funny. I thought everyone was doing this when I started coding. I honestly thought I didn't have a business. <laughs> I, started, I thought everyone was doing this. But the truth is, is nobody is, right? It's spend that time and you'll be ahead of 95% of your competition. They'd rather spend an hour on Facebook. That's the. That's crazy. At least they're listening to the podcast. If you made it this far, you get a thumbs up from me. But hey, right, perfect. Do you? Uh, there's a couple of questions I like to ask guests before we wrap up. Favorite personal brand and why? So, lots I can talk about here. I would say my favorite one personally. I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. I think he's been very intelligent about the way that he's approached his brand. And I'm sure a lot of people like him, dislike him, totally fine. I think the key is he's a really big fan of output. A lot of people underestimate output. Okay, you want to get a deal? Talk to 100 people. Like One of them is going to be interested. Don't just stop at five. And I think Gary's the master of output. He just goes, let's just produce hundreds of pieces of content, see what actually sticks. 
and then triple down on what sticks. See, I'm a big fan of Gary's brand. I emulate a lot of what he does in my own. And on, on that subject, what about the use of profanity? Because Gary is somebody that doesn't hold back, as, and that is who he is. That's part of his brand. Is that something you would, in from a communication point of view, say, okay, you've got, again, is it part of your brand? Yes, you should. Or do you need to think more towards the, the people that you're trying to influence and, and partner with? Yeah, it's a great question. The way I think about this, Paul, is I'm, I'm not a big fan of prescriptions. As you can tell, a lot of what I said is very objective. So I didn't really say, oh, I really don't like the way this guy speaks. I feel it's very subjective. So for me, communication is about outcomes. So I'm very cold in that way. So let's say a real estate investor goes, okay, let's say I, I closed 100K in my speaking. Do I need to get better? I say, what's your goal? And then if that person says 100K, I have no feedback for that person. But if that person wants to do better, that person goes, I want to close a million, but I'm closing 500. I'm like, okay, now we have a gap. Why aren't you closing the other 500? What are the mistakes you're making? So it always depends what your goals are. And the reason I don't, I personally don't like to use profanity in my language name because I want to get to more people. I wanted to make it more accessible. And I feel with the religious community, especially if I use profanity, they won't watch my stuff. And that's important to me because it's a large percentage of the human population. So whether I'm, it doesn't matter whether I'm religious or not, I'm just an example. So for me, the use of profanity doesn't work with my brand, but Gary doesn't care because he's achieving the goals that he, he wants. He made $90 million on V friends in like three months. He's doing just fine. So he doesn't need a, <laughs> me to tell him. <laughs> no, he probably does. <laughs> no disrespect, but probably does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he doesn't. That's the key. What about a favorite uh, business book or podcast? Yeah, so... It's a business book, but not really. So the book is called Thirst by Scott Harrison. So Scott Harrison is a CEO of Charity Water. It's a nonprofit. He started to help people gain access to clean water. And the reason I'm giving a nonprofit book is I actually believe as business owners, we can learn a lot more from the nonprofit space in many cases than the for-profit. Why am I saying that? The reason is simple because the incentives of capitalism don't work in the nonprofit scene, which means it's a lot harder to scale something. So I'll give you a simple example. I'm sure the audience already got it, but I'll give you a super example. Okay. If there's a service that we provide and there's a value in that service for the other person that exceeds the money that they're investing in, they'll do that transaction every day of the week. It's very easy to scale a business provided your product's good enough. But nonprofits don't work that way. Even if you're doing the best transformation, it selfishly doesn't benefit the interests of a human being versus the goodness that they might feel when transacting. But that goodness is hard to compete against when there's thousands of nonprofits that you can give capital to. So it's challenging. That's why I like Scott Harrison a lot, because he used a lot of the examples we talked about today in this conversation in storytelling and branding with a nonprofit budget and raised half a billion dollars of revenue. And that's why I feel we could learn a lot from this journey. So is it with a non-for-profit, your message has to be resonating, emotional connection. Yeah, as you say, storytelling makes total sense. Okay. Good one. Good recommendation. What about a favorite uh, or a, a current tool or resource that you're really enjoying using? Current tool or resource? I would go back to basics here in the sense that my favorite tool in the world is Google Keep or iPhone Notes, iNotes, whatever you're using. I feel a lot of people don't take enough notes on their phone. And the reason I'm such a, a big bull on this is because it allows you to store your, your note-taking forever. So I'll give an example. 
let's say me and you're having a coffee and you go, oh, Brendan, you went to that Tony Robbins conference four months ago. What did you learn? Most people wouldn't be able to answer the question because their notes are either not taken at all or somewhere in some notepad that they didn't look at after the event. Whereas because all of my notes are on my phone, I can quickly go to my note and just type the word Tony Robbins and all the notes that I got from that conference will appear automatically. And I can go, oh, this is what I learned. Oh, and this quickly refreshes my memory. So I think that's an underrated tool that most of us don't use. On the book side of things, any recommended books around communication that you... Yeah, I'm very counterintuitive in my field. I usually just recommend first by Scott Harrison. I actually haven't read that many communication books. I'm just being honest. For me, I'm very just a practitioner. I've just made every mistake. I still haven't read Dale Carnegie's books. I always like to mention that in a podcast. (laughs) I know it's crazy. But yeah, I'm not a book guy. I'm more of a podcast guy. Okay, good. Do you have a favorite quote? Yeah, absolutely. And one other thing I want to say about books, because I feel it's important, and then I'll give you the quote by Scott as well, is a lot of my clients say that too. They go, do you have any books on communication? I always respond with this because I think it'll help people because people like straight shooting in, in the real estate game is why are we wasting time reading books? The best way to speak coincidentally is to speak. <laughs> so if you're investing that's, 30 minutes. Brendan, that's so profound. It's, it's, <laughs> but it's so know, true. <laughs> it's so true. It's simple, but not easy. Because I, I, I was like, in my head, I was like, is this too? Because I usually don't sell on a podcast. But since it's this community, I can totally do that. So the key is, Okay, if you're going to invest 30 minutes a week to read a book on communication, which is great, which I literally got this two weeks ago. Somebody sent me a DM on this. And I go, have you, how many times have you done the random word exercise? Like twice. And I was like, how about we do this instead? How about you drop the book and instead do the random word exercise 30 times this week? Can we do that instead? And then they start shivering. And I was like, okay, that's the point. <laughs> so going back to the closest office is by Scott as well. I'm a big fan of his work. And the quote is, the goal is not to live forever but rather create something that will. Okay, the goal is not to live forever, but rather create something that will. When I was 20 and I read this quote once, it completely changed my life because before I was very money focused. I was very, let me get into a big company. Let me become an executive. Let me make multiple six. Let me get out of poverty. And then when I read that quote, it really changed my perspective in life, which is how do I make a big legacy in the world? How do I make an impact? And that's what led to, to Master Talk a few years later. That completely underlines why when I went to your various online assets that came through that totally came through thank you brother appreciate yeah it. that's uh, so that's where that came from that's wonderful great collection at the end so where speaking of which how can people find you where can they get more about what you do yeah absolutely paul what a fantastic conversation thanks for having me once again it was great two ways to do that the first one is the youtube channel all you have to do is type master talk in the youtube search engine and you'll find me right there And then the second way, if you're interested in coaching, is come to one of my free interactive live trainings over Zoom. We do a free one every few weeks. It's not a webinar. It's an interactive Zoom call. I'm coaching people. And the website for that is rockstarcommunicator.com. Wonderful. Brendan, thank you. I think you've really delivered today. Lots of great tips, insights. I think a lot of things that people can walk away with. But what I'm hearing is start off with the random word presentation and then juggle the next ball and the next ball and the next ball so wonderful uh have yourself a fantastic day thank you you too well was that fantastic did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business so get to it and if you're wondering where your real estate investing brand currently stands and some steps to make it more fantastic 
You can download our free REI brand checklist at reibranded.com forward slash checklist. That's reibranded.com forward slash checklist. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.